0: Amen. All right. Well, today we, uh, we begin a brand new series. Yes, a brand new series. And it's called My Life, His Life. My Life, His Life. When Jesus came to the earth, he didn't come to kill us. He came to save us. He came to give us life. Um, in John chapter 10, verse number 10, Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes to steal Kill and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have what? And more. Jesus came that we might have life and that more abundantly. But here's what I begin to understand is that he can't give life to a person. Who is not first dead. Jesus only brings dead people back to life. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. How many of you know you got to be dead before God can raise you to life? You first have to recognize that you are dead in your sins before Jesus had come and raise you to life, to spiritual life. And here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that some people, they'll come to Christ not because they're dead in their sins. On the contrary, they are fully alive to their sin, but they just want to feel better about it. So let's come to Jesus not to turn from our sin. Let's turn to Jesus so we can feel better about our condition. They may not be coming to Jesus to deliver them. They may not be coming for Jesus to save them. They're coming looking for acceptance. They're not coming for salvation. They're coming for what psychologists call self-actualization. They've come to Jesus to have the the best life now. The best version of me that I can be. Jesus can help me be the best version of me I can be. So let's give Jesus a try and see if he can make me a better me. Is that Christianity? Is that the gospel? And they've turned to Jesus without turning from sin. And can I tell you this morning, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not the gospel that we preach. That's not the gospel that Paul preached. It's a man-centered gospel. It's not the gospel. And it never works because Jesus didn't come to this earth to improve our condition. He came to deliver us. From our condition. We have to understand this morning that God is not a mortician. He is not interested in making dead people smell better and look good. He is not a mortician. He is interested in raising dead people back to life. He's not interested in making dead people smell better, look better right? He's not changing your clothes as you're laying there dead. No, he is interested in raising the dead back to life. Some of you today are going to experience a supernatural resurrection in your life. We are born into sin. We are born spiritually dead. That means the spirit part of us Right, we're trichotomy, we're mind, we're body, we're spirit. The spirit part of us is dead. And that spirit part that is dead is the part that God wants to raise to life. It's the part of us that God wants to redeem here and now on this earth. I'm thankful someday I'm going to get a brand new mind. Someday I'm going to get a brand new body. But I can have a brand new spirit that is fully alive. God can take this spirit, this heart, the Bible says, that is like a heart of stone right now, and God can transform it into something that's living and and beating and pumping. A heart of flesh that's full of life. Some of you today, you have that heart of stone. It's dead. There's no life flowing through it. And today, God wants to do a miracle. He doesn't want to improve your condition. He wants to deliver you from it. He doesn't want to improve your life. He wants to give you a brand new one. He wants to give you his life. And he will only give life to the lifeless. To those who are broken. To those who deny self. To those who are dead to self. To those who have caught the stench of their own rottenness without Christ. Those are the ones. Those are the ones to whom Jesus gives his life. He only raises those who are dead in their sins. Jesus said in his opening comments in one of the greatest sermons that has ever been preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever heard of it? And his opening line says it all. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are the poor, the spiritually poor, the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who know they are dead in their sin. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is life. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, he he told his disciples these familiar words. We repeat them often. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What that tells me this morning is that when you let go of the life that you have, God gives you the life that he has. You have to come to that place where the life that you have is not life. You have to come to that place where the life that you have is actually death to you now. It's dead. It's been dead for, for years and it stinks. And instead of saying, Jesus, would you come and help me smell better? Jesus, would you come and, and help me look better? You come to Jesus and say, I'm dead. I am dead in my sins. And only you, God, can make me alive. And when you do that, he says you're blessed. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's not an improved life. It's an exchanged life. It's not an improved life that God is interested in. He's interested in exchanging his life for yours. My life. His life. That's the title of our series. That's the title of the message today. And the moment you make this exchange, my life for his life, you become what the Bible calls born again. Born again. And the old you has passed away. We use that term when somebody dies. You know, Aunt Margaret has passed away, right? The old you has passed away. The new you has come. And this new life that God has given you is is no longer your life to live. It's now his life to live through you. The Apostle Paul put it quite like this in Galatians 2 verse 20, which is our key text for this series. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I no longer live. Can you imagine having that kind of attitude about your life? The old Walt, let me tell you about the old Walt. He no longer lives. Paul said, I no longer live. Talking about that old man. But Christ lives where? In me And the life I now live in this body, in this tent, in this temporal dwelling, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter three, verse number one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Let's pause there for a moment. Not only have we been crucified with him and we no longer live, we've also been raised with Christ. Resurrection. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on lunch today. I'm sorry, that's the the New Walt translation. The uh, the uh, set your hearts on things above. Now you're thinking about food. Sorry. <laughs> set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. For you died and your life is now what? It's hidden. Your life is now hidden. Where? Where is it hidden? With Christ in God. Verse number four. When Christ, who is your life, right? Who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus is not just a part of my life, according to Colossians. He is my life. When you become a Christian, you take on a Christ identity, Christian. Everything about your life is about a person, and it's not you. Sorry to bring the bad news. It's really good news. When you come to Christ, you have a new identity. It's not in your past sin. It's not in your future sin or your past successes or your future successes. It's not about who you are today, what you're doing today, how you're feeling today. Your identity is now in it's wrapped up in this person. And his name is Jesus. Every part of my life now is is his life. It's his part. We don't just, and here's how I explained it in an earlier service, when we come to Christ and we believe in him and we turn from our sin and we come to Christ as believers, a lot of times we, we use this terminology, I invited Jesus into my life. But theologically, that's impossible. If we were to understand what I just read here today, what happens is when we get saved, Jesus invites us into his life. He doesn't step into my life and come alongside and know oh, he's going to help my life and things are going to go good now. No, when we get saved, he invites us into his life. We step into his life. We don't invite him. Hey, Jesus, come follow me. I never read that in scripture. You won't find that in the New Testament. Jesus always said, you come follow me. Sometimes we get that backwards, don't we? Jesus, I pray today would go great. I pray you would just come follow me everywhere I go and um, go before me, make everything smooth and nice. Don't we pray those prayers? Jesus, you have bid me to come follow you. Jesus, you said if any man would would come after you, would follow you, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow I'm thankful this morning that Jesus didn't step into my life when I got saved. I'm thankful that I stepped into his life because his life is so much better than my rotten decay. Somebody say amen this morning. So now every part of what I call my life is really now his life, right? It's his life to live through me. So my money is his money. My mission is his mission. Come on, are you picking up what I'm laying down? My gifts are his gifts. My body is now, my time is, my work is his work. So over the next several weeks, we're going to unpack my life, his life. What does that mean? Every aspect, every major arena of our lives is no longer our life to live. It's his life to live through us. So my money is his money. What does that look like? What does that look like every day? What about my body being his body? What does that look like every day? What if I woke up every day and said, God, this is no longer my day to live, my life to live. It's yours to live. What do you want to do today? What if we broke this thing down and we examined these major arenas of our life, right? And we said, God, now that I am a Christian, live your life through me. So this is going to be a fun journey. God owns it all. He owns it all. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everybody on the planet is God's property. They may not acknowledge that. They may not say Jesus is Lord, but how many of you know one day the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord because he is. So whether we confess it now or later, the fact remains is that he is Lord of all. John 17, Jesus prayed to his father in heaven and he said this. He said, Father, all I have is yours. But he didn't stop there. He said, and all you have is mine. That's powerful. What if you got up tomorrow morning, Monday morning at 4 a.m., like you usually do? Just kidding. At 10 a.m., and you prayed that prayer. You said, Father, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. My goodness. My goodness. What if we made that divine exchange? Not just back 20 years ago, I guess. What if we made that divine exchange every day? What if every day I'm waking up and I'm saying, God, all that I have, my kids, my wife, this house, my job, my, my time, my abilities, my money. God, all I have is yours. And God, all you have, your time, your money, your abilities, your, your gifts, are mine. Oh my goodness. All right. Hold me back. I'm getting excited. This could be good. God owns it all. To be a Christian means that we are no longer our own. We have been purchased. We have been bought. We have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We have been crucified with Christ and we have been raised with Christ. And of course, this life that we have is no longer our life to live. It's his life to live through us. I want to take you through some scriptures today because the scriptures, the word of God is so powerful. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15, describing Jesus. Listen to these powerful words that Paul writes to describe Jesus. He says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In other words, what Jesus said in the Gospels, he said this If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, read the Gospels. Read the, if you want to know what the Father is like, read the Gospels. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Once you were alienated from God, how many of you remember those days? Some this morning you feel that way and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, jump ahead. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives where... In him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Can I tell you this morning? There is no demon in hell that has to that that you have to put up with. There's no temptation that you have to give into. There's no addiction that has control or should have control over your life. Jesus has all power and all authority and you are in him and he is in you and you are one and your identity is in him and you're no longer a slave. You're a son or a daughter and you don't have to live bound as a slave anymore. You can be free sons and daughters of God because he has all power and all authority. You should not be kicked around like a tin can by the enemy. You should be kicking him around. You have authority in Jesus' name to trample on snakes and trample on scorpions. You bear that name. You bear that image of Jesus Christ. Let's start acting like it. Let's start praying like it. Let's start winning like it. Verse 11, in him you are also circumcised. With a circumcision not performed by human hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Pause there for a moment. When we get saved, we get circumcised, but it's not it's not an outward circumcision. It's an inward circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart. in other words, God, by his spirit, goes inside of your heart, your spirit, man, and he cuts away the flesh. He cuts away the sinful nature part of you. The Jews understood that they're like, okay, I get that. We're today. We're like, okay, uh, isn't that like, you know, biology class or something, you know? But it's this sign that God has cut away the old man. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all, not some, all our sins. And having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. How many of you love the word of God this morning? And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. More scripture, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself, every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Jesus is no longer part of my life. I've got to confess to you this morning. He is my life. Offer every part. When you offer every part to him, he offers every part of himself to you. We are masters at partial surrender. We excel at everything or we excel at giving almost everything, don't we? But it is impossible to come into the kingdom giving almost everything. God is putting his finger on the one thing we won't surrender. And he says, you have to be all in. You have to be all in. Jesus put it like this in Luke 14, verse 33. He said, in the same way, those of you uh, who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Do, Do you believe that that verse is true? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have. Do you think he meant everything? You can read it in any any translation you want. Go study the Greek. Knock yourself out. That word means everything. Give up everything. What does that mean? That means you pray like Jesus. Father, all I have is yours. <laughs> and all you have is mine. And when you have that attitude... When you have that attitude, Jesus says, now you can be my disciple. We are masters at partial surrender. My life, his life is a sermon series about living a legacy one day at a time. Living a legacy one day at a time. Let me unpack that for you today, okay? Because here's the deal. God saved us not so we could just get through the day. God saved us so we could leave something behind when we leave this planet. It's called a legacy. A legacy is a lasting influence. When I'm dead and gone, I hope, I hope I leave my kids a legacy. I hope I leave them a, a lasting influence, a godly influence. I hope when, when, when you're dead and gone, God forbid, but that day will come. There's an appointed time for every man to die. And then after that, the judgment. But God's desire is that you leave behind a legacy, a lasting influence. And here's what I understand about leaving a legacy. To leave a legacy, you have to live a legacy and you live it one day at a time. You have to invest your life one day at a time. And when you do that day after day after day in all those areas of your life, I'm investing, I'm investing my life, his life, I'm investing it every day. What happens is one day you look back and you're like, wow, I've left a legacy, a lasting impression, a lasting influence. My oldest son, he just recently went through Financial Peace University. He came home one night all excited. Dad, you got to see that. If I start saving and investing $2,000 a year at the age of 20 and just 12 years, I could stop investing at that point and and that money will grow over time. And when I retire at 65, I'll have like a million dollars. Dad, it's amazing. It's called compound interest. Have you ever heard of it? (laughs) How many of you know compound interest works both ways? There are two kinds of people. When it comes to compound interest, those who understand it and those who pay it. And if you understand compound interest today, you're going to go, you know what? Every day is an opportunity to invest my life in something that matters. Every day I have an opportunity to invest my time, my money, my abilities, my body, my work. Every day I have the opportunity to invest this piece of my life in the kingdom of God and something that matters. And if I, if I live every day a legacy, I'll leave one day a legacy. I'll leave a lasting influence to my, to my family, to my friends, to this world that we live in. And I imagine this morning, <clears throat> not just imagine, but as I was praying in church, um, begin to think about who's here this morning. What kind of people are here this morning? And I was thinking about it, and, I, and, and God just kind of gave me this idea that there are two kinds of people here. There are people today who are investors, and there are people today who are survivors. And what I mean by that is some of you are thinking right now, you're like, this is great, Pastor. I want to invest my life every day. I want to make a difference. And others of you are going, I just want to survive. I just want to make it through another day. You know, this investing idea is great, but man, you know, I, I can't plan for retirement, right? I got I to gotta just figure out how I'm going to pay the utility bill. Some of you are ready to invest in the future spiritually, and some of you are spiritually, man, I'm just trying to get through the day. But here's the good news I've got for you. Here's what the investors and the survivors have in common. This is what they have in common. They both have to live one day at a time. The investor's thinking way out there. The survivor's thinking just about today. But here's the deal. Both have to live in the now. Both have to live today. We can only live one day at a time. We can only walk one step at a time. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Every day is an opportunity to invest the life God has given to you in things that really matter movie called Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor is a a rated R film. It's very, very violent. Um, It's war and it's based on the real life mission of four Navy SEALs and their mission was to kill or to capture high level Taliban targets in the mountains of Afghanistan. The mission, if you have seen the movie, you know the mission goes bad. If you haven't seen the movie and you want to see the movie, plug your ears because I'm going to tell you about it right now. Okay, The mission goes bad when a couple of goat herders, they stumble upon the four Navy SEALs and their location. And these four Navy SEALs, they have to make the difficult decision to let these goat herders go instead of kill them. And because they let them go and because they don't have radio communications where they're at, these four Navy SEALs are now up against over a 100 Taliban fighters. And the firefight that ensued lasted nearly half a day. Can you imagine four men against over hundred men? And they're fighting and shooting and they're going at it for a half a day. And three of the Navy SEALs are killed and only one survives. And his name is Marcus Luttrell. And Marcus, despite multiple through and through gunshot wounds and compound fractures in both of his legs, he has a broken back, he has head trauma, and he, and he has bitten his tongue in half. Marcus crawled some seven miles through the mountains, and he reengaged the enemy alone until he was given aid from local villagers. And what isn't described in the book or in the movie, for that matter, is Marcus's specific strategy for accomplishing the task of a seven-mile crawl. How did he crawl seven miles to safety? How did he do it? He was in pain. He couldn't use his legs It was an insurmountable task, but he made it doable by breaking it into these small, manageable steps. So on his journey, what he would do is as he was crawling, he would pull out his knife and he would and he would take his knife and he would scratch a line in the dirt. He put his knife back and he would drag himself across that line until his feet were on the other side of that line. And he'd pull his knife out again and he'd scratch a line in the dirt, put his knife back, and then he would begin to crawl again. And he would crawl over that line again until his feet were on the other side of that line. And he did it again and again and again and again. I can't imagine crawling seven miles while bleeding to death. It sounds impossible to me. But crawling seven feet I can do that. I can do that. And every one of you can do that. How do you leave a legacy? (laughs) You draw a line in the sand. And you crawl seven feet. And you draw another line in the sand the next day. And you crawl another seven feet. Listen, whether you feel like an investor this morning or you feel like a survivor this morning, the answer is the same. The strategy is the same. You get up every day and you say, you know what? I'm going to draw a line in the dirt and I'm going to crawl seven steps. I'm going to crawl seven steps. You see, the way that you crawl seven miles is just seven steps, seven feet at a time. Seven feet at a time. You need to hear this today. Some of you are like, I'm not going to make it through this day. Let alone tomorrow. What do I do? You draw a line. You draw a line in the dirt. And you say, my life is his life today. And then on Tuesday morning, you get up and you draw a line in the dirt again. And you say, my life is his life today. And you do it Wednesday. And you do it Thursday. And we're going to help flesh that out. What that looks like over the next several weeks during this series. You see, this idea of Christ living his life through us sounds like a a seven mile crawl. It sounds like an insurmountable task. But it's not when you say, you know what, today I'm going to cross seven feet and the next day I'm going to cross seven feet and the next day I'm going to cross seven feet. And at the end of my life of living a legacy every day, I'm going to leave a legacy and people are going to see God was on my life. People are going to see that it was not my life that I lived. It was his life that he lived through me. That's what it means to follow Jesus every single day. It's a seven foot crawl for many of us. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. Martin Luther King Jr. I love it. I love that man. I love what he did for God and for this country. I love what he did for racial reconciliation. I love how he displayed how you cross seven miles. He said this. He said, if you can't fly, he said, run. If you can't run, he said, walk. He said, if you can't walk, then crawl. But no matter what you do, no matter what you do, he said, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Worship team, if you would come. Worship team, if you would come and I'm going to do this today. I want to ask, I want to ask this morning, some of you are today and you have treated God like a mortician. You have treated God like a mortician and, and you have wanted him to kind of clean up your life a little bit and help you smell good and help you look good. Right. But you realize God's not in the mortician business. He's in the business of raising the dead. And you realize today that spiritually you are dead. You realize today that your heart, right? Your heart is dead in sin. And God wants to make you alive in Christ today. He's inviting you today to step into his life. He's inviting you today to take on his righteousness That sounds really good, doesn't it? I don't have to come up with righteousness. He gives me his righteousness. Amazing. If that's you today, I want you to to do this. Just raise your hand nice and high. And you're saying, Pastor, I'm ready to be saved today. I'm ready to identify with Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Hands nice and high. If that's you today. Several hands. What's beautiful about this is is you're not going to walk out of here with an improved life. You're going to walk out of here with a new life. His life. Would you do this today if everybody would stand to your feet? And I'm going to invite those of you who raised your hand, I'm going to invite you to come and I'm also going to invite those of you who today you want to you you want to draw that line in the dirt and you want to say you know what God today my life is your life you've been a follower of Jesus you're a disciple but you have been living for yourself you've been living this is my life I'm going to live it how I want and today you realize that Jesus is asking for another full surrender another full surrender and there's a part of your life, remember, we're stubborn about surrender. There's a part of your life that He's saying, I want all of it. I want you to be all in. Listen, when you're all in, when you say, Jesus, I'm all in, you know what He says? I'm all into. I'm all into. When you give Him all of you, He gives you all of Himself. Some of you have not been experienced the life of Jesus because you're holding on to your own. And He's inviting you today to come and give up your life again, fresh. I'm not saying you're getting saved again. I don't know if you are or not. Maybe you're getting saved for the first time. I'll let God work those kinds of things out. But I do know this of the Spirit is saying now, draw a line in the dirt and say, you know what, God? My life is your life. If you want to make that statement today, you want to make that statement today, I'm going to invite you to come as well. Now, for those of you who raised your hand and said, Pastor, I'm dead in my sin, but I need to be alive in God. There were several of you that raised your hand. I want you to come down. I want to meet with you. I'm going to turn my mic off. I want to meet with you. We're going to pray together. And the rest of you are going to come as well. And we're going to pray and we're going to worship Jesus during this chorus. Amen. How many of you are ready to take a seven-mile journey crawling? How many of you are ready to do it, right? Seven feet at a time every day. Amen? Amen. Let's respond to what God is doing.